come and share a word with us. Who loves his preaching? Yes, we do. He's a tremendous uh, young preacher, a tremendous support to myself and the ministry here, and we love him. So open your hearts and get ready for what the Lord is going to say. Why don't you put your hands together and welcome Josh up. Come on, man. I'll just make the pulpit sort of treetop size for you. Yeah, that's perfect. Oh, the celebrity clap to come to the stage. I hate it. <laughs> Super hate it. Thanks, Darren. Really appreciate it. Um, no, it's really good to see everyone here. Um, I just wanted to start by thanking everyone who has been praying for me over the past month and a half. As most of you know, um, I had an episode over Christmas where I had to go to the ER over a suspected heart problem. Um, and I've had heaps of tests since then. And um, I just got back my final test and my heart is 100% okay. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm still getting pains, but they think I have um, inflammation of the cartilage where it meets the bone. It's called costochondritis, if you want to Google it. I did. Supposedly it mimics a heart attack. So they said my heart itself is fine, which is really good. But um, yeah, I'm still getting a, a little bit of pain, but I'm nearly all better, which is great. Uh, Secondly, I want to just um, thank everyone who does pray for me when they hear that I'm preaching, because um, believe it or not, I'm not like, you know, some awesome professional preacher or anything like that. Well, you don't need to believe that. That's obvious. But my point is, um, I really struggle to prepare my notes sometimes, and I really get anxious about speaking in front of people. I know it probably doesn't look like it up here, but it, preparing during the week can be hard sometimes, and I really feel your prayers. Like on Saturday, the peace of God was so strong with me, even when my notes weren't very good. So <laughs> I really appreciate all the prayers that everyone's given for me. And lastly, I want to thank everyone who has been praying for Jess and I as we've been looking for a home. Um, some of you may know that as well. The last couple of months, we've been looking for a home to purchase. And it's been really hard out there. And I wanted to share a little testimony about that. Uh, basically, I, we, we found a home that we really liked over Christmas. And uh, we put an offer in on it. And someone put in a higher offer. And we missed it. Well, I got quite bitter at God, even though I know God is the provider. And someone else obviously is rejoicing, and we're not. Uh, but I started over January starting to really doubt God's provision for us. And to be honest, when I heard that Lily House had received a, a generous donation of um, 700000 and when I heard that we got this new place in Nambour at such a good contract rate, I kind of felt like I was a bit gypped in the whole situation. And so I took it to God. I'm like, God, like, you know, what's going on here? And then through a strange set of circumstances, uh, we came across a place um, that we originally didn't look at and the reason we didn't look at it is because it didn't show any photos of the backyard and it just looked like from the photos it was basically on a cliff and there was no backyard and we really needed a backyard and we assumed that's why it hadn't sold but we happened to be in the area and just like what Pastor Darren said with the Nambour place God was shielding it for, for Pastor Darren well we felt that God was shielding this place for us because when we got there it had a beautiful backyard um, that they just neglected to take photos of it um, and yeah, we just signed the contract for that. So we're really happy about that. Um, the, the cool thing is, uh, it's, um, we were looking for places that were within half an hour to both Nambour and my work. And uh, the place we got is uh, 10 minutes to Nambour and 15 minutes to my work. So miracle, massive miracle. Uh, to make things even more miraculous, um, I didn't even realize when we signed the paperwork because we, we sort of didn't, we sort of stumbled upon this place, but I looked at the advertisement after we had already signed contracts. Um, yeah, probably should have done that first. 
anyways, uh, th there's, there was some really cool confirmations. So I was lying in bed at nighttime on the Saturday night and I couldn't sleep. It was like, it ended up being three o'clock in the morning and I was just fretting over it because the, the real estate agent said he wouldn't get back to us till Monday. Um, and it became a multiple offer situation. I was like, oh great, here we go all again. And Pastor Darren said, we need to get a word from the Lord. He said, we need a word from the Bible, you know. And uh, sometimes that might sound like strange things to people. Like, how do you get a word from the Bible? Do you just randomly flick open the Bible and pick a page? No. So I was lying in bed at 3 a.m. with anxiety over the house. And the Lord said to me, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I'm a Bible college student. I know the context of that passage. I know it's Moses standing before the Red Sea, before the children of Israel, and the Egyptians are pursuing them. And he says to the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But that was the word that God gave me for that particular season. And so I stopped fretting. I put it in God's hands. And yeah, not only did we get the sale of the property, but when we actually did look at the, um, the YouTube video, which was like the promo video for the house, they actually chose a song by a band called Divine Attraction called You Never Let Me Go. Now, this is a secular organization. This is Ray White, Bye Bye. The lyrics of this song in the background as the video is playing says, you take all my cares away. You can move mountains. I do not have to be afraid for, for I know that you are God. All things are possible. You are God and none can replace. <laughs> so... Some of you who are still waiting for your miracle, trust in God. He's a faithful God and he'll come through for you. Now, being a strange person as that I am, I, uh, I happened to do a few sneaky drive-bys in the last couple of days because I'm just so excited. Um, I even... Oh, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say... I, I, uh, I, I, I followed this guy for a little bit because I thought he might be the owner. <laughs> I was hoping he'd turn into the driveway, but he didn't. Anyways, that's really embarrassing. So... <laughs> Our house has views, lovely views of the mountains, but um, I went across the uh, road and I noticed the neighbors have views of the ocean and they have views of Marucci River. And uh, I got jealous for a moment there. I actually got a bit grumpy at my neighbors and I, I frowned at their house. <laughs> All that to say is that was actually a segue into my sermon this morning. So this morning we're gonna be talking about sin and how Jesus overcame sin and he can help us overcome sin as well. So. Uh, is my text, yeah, so that's the verse for this morning. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, what are humanity's greatest enemies, what would you say? Have you ever had a thought about it? I mean, I've spoken to some people who think Joe Biden as president of America is the greatest enemy of the world. But I'm here to tell you that's not the world's greatest enemy. Uh, some think people think it's political correctness. As annoying as that is, that's not the world's greatest enemy either. Uh, the world's greatest enemies is threefold. It's sin, it's death, and it's the devil, and it plagues us all. Uh, this is one of the areas where Jesus really excels over all of the other religious leaders who have ever existed. You see, Buddha, Muhammad, Gandhi, Joseph Smith, and other, others were all sinners, and they all died. Their tombs are still with us today. But unlike them, Jesus has an empty tomb, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfectly sinless life, which none of those religious leaders nor their followers would ever attest to. Every single one of them that you study had character flaws. Jesus Christ had no character flaws. He was completely blameless. He never ceased loving his neighbor, and he never ceased loving his God. 
So this morning, I'm not going to be talking much about the resurrection of Jesus. I've spoken about that on a previous sermon. So if you want to watch that, you can head to YouTube, um, to the Ignite page. But our text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. It'll be on behind me for the whole sermon, so you can follow along that. So I'll read it to you. Seeing then that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now let's start with passing into the heavens. What does it mean that Jesus passed into the heavens? The Bible talks about three different heavens. The first heavens described in the Bible is basically just the clouds and the earth's atmosphere. So we read in Genesis 7 that God brought rain on the earth from, from the heavens. So this is, this is the atmosphere above the earth. And in Ezekiel 32, it talks about the birds flying around the heavens. The second heaven that the Bible talks about in its context are the stars and the planets and the universe and the world that we live in, the physical world. In Genesis 22, verse 17, God promised Abraham that he would multiply his descendants as the stars of heaven in reference to the universe. So the stars are referred to as another heaven above the earth. And lastly, there's another heaven mentioned in Scripture. It's called the third heaven. It's the place where God dwells. In Isaiah 66, verse 1, God says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And the Apostle Paul talked about this heaven. He spoke about an experience on one occasion where he was caught up to the third heaven. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was writing and he said, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard the inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul had a vision of Jesus in the heavens where God dwells. Now just as a side point, I want to make a quick comment about this passage. Paul said that he had one vision of the Lord and was taken up to heaven on one occasion, 14 years prior. And that's 14 years prior to writing 2 Corinthians. Now, I just want to say that there are some people today who teach that Christians can be taught to leave their bodies and have a vision of Jesus in heaven, just like the Apostle Paul, whenever they want to. And I just wanted to clarify that this is a false teaching and it's misleading Christians. You see, Paul had one experience where he went to heaven, one and one only that we're aware of, and he never once taught other Christians to mimic that, nor did he like talking about it because it was such a holy experience. So this is not something that we can just conjure up in ourselves and visit Jesus whenever we want. But as our passage says, we can boldly approach the throne of God, and that's something we do every time we pray. So back to the text, um, what does it mean through Jesus passing through the heavens? We see that heavens was plural. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, we read the last uh, moments Jesus had on earth. He was sharing his last commandments to his disciples. He said to them that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he said, the, the writer Luke wrote, he said, um, Now when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said to the disciples, 
Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in a like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Now, a few years ago, I was on a plane flight. I think I was heading to Adelaide by memory. And I was sitting next to this 18-year-old guy who was going down for the weekend. And uh, I use it as an opportunity to share the gospel sometimes. And uh, this, this particular kid, I started telling him about the life of Jesus and the fact that he was dead, but that he was raised from the dead. And then I mentioned to him that Jesus had actually uh, ascended into heaven after being seen by eyewitnesses for over 40 days. And this kid was just like blown away. He's like, what do you mean he ascended into heaven? And I said, well, the Bible says that he was caught up into the clouds and we saw him no more and that he's coming back in the same way that he went up. This kid said, dude, no one's ever told me this before. He's like, I honestly thought Jesus just died of old age after the resurrection. No one had explained it to him. And so it just amazed him that, that when Christians pray, we pray to a living God, one who hears us, one who is still alive, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, as we'll look at later. Now, it says that Jesus is our high priest who has passed not only into the first heavens, which is the clouds, but has passed into the third heaven, which is the dwelling place of God. Now, we need to just uh, think a bit about what it means to be high priest. So under the old Jewish covenant, the role of priest was to bring people into the presence of God. Jesus is that mediator between heaven and earth. He is the one He is one person, but he shares two natures, both being the Son of God and the Son of Man. Now, once every year on the Day of Atonement, it was the high priest's responsibility to enter the section of the temple called the Most Holy Place, which was behind a thick curtain. Uh, And during this time, he was to offer the blood of bulls and goats as a sin offering on the mercy seat, which is also referred to as God's throne. Now, prior to the coming of the Jesus, the high priest in Jerusalem performed this ritual annually in order to provide a temporary covering for the sins committed by the people and by himself. So this was only an occasion, this was only an event that happened once a year. Um, All throughout the old covenant, there was a thick curtain blocking the people of God from entering the most holy place of the temple, and only the high priest was allowed to enter that most holy place. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read that the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For then they would have ceased to be offered. But the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So what the author of Hebrews was saying was that the blood and bulls and goats were just a covering for the people. It was a temporary covering. They couldn't actually cleanse the people of their sins, which is why they continually needed to continue. Too many continues in one sentence. The blood sacrifice system. Um, Even though the priest offered up blood to atone for his sins on the mercy seat, uh, he wasn't able to fully cleanse the people. But Jesus, our great high priest, has passed through the heavens into the very presence of God to offer his own blood as a sacrifice for both our forgiveness and our complete cleansing. Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, 
Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, what does it mean that Jesus offered himself without spot to God through the eternal spirit? This is very Trinitarian language. It says that Jesus offered himself up through the Holy Spirit to the Father as a sacrifice on our behalf. Uh, Verse 15 of Hebrews explains this. So as we see it behind me, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. Now, this can be quite controversial for some people, but do you believe that Jesus was actually genuinely uh, tempted with sin? Because that's what the scripture says. The scripture says in his humanity, Jesus was genuinely tempted in all points as we are, yet he overcame and didn't want sin. So he took on our flesh and blood and he experienced our humanity in his fullness. Now, of course, he didn't inherit a sin nature from Adam, but what he did inherit was a a normal functioning body. He had hungers, thirsts, desires, dreams, just like we all have. So, for example, even though Jesus created the human tongue, he, he wasn't born from the Virgin Mary speaking fluent Hebrew. You know, as a boy, he would have had to been taught the very language that he, as God, created before the world even was founded. So... He experienced humanity in its fullness. Um, This also means as a male that he went through puberty. So um, I won't go into it in a whole lot of things, but obviously as a man, he would have known what it was like to struggle with sexual temptation and the rush of hormones in his body. So for us who struggle with that sort of thing, if anyone struggles here with that sort of thing, Jesus experienced those things and yet he overcame. He didn't give in to sexual immorality. He didn't give in to any of the sins of the flesh. So we need to understand that temptation to sin is not the same as committing sin. And I think it'll make it clear for you if you find James chapter 1. It says, Each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown bring forth death. So being drawn away by our desires and enticed is what leads to sin. But the, the, the drawing away of our desires is not necessarily sin. That is where the temptation lies. So Jesus was provoked in his bodily desires, but unlike every other human leader who's ever lived, he never gave in to sinful desires. Now, how many of you have been hurt by someone close to you? You don't need to raise your hand because I think we'd all raise our hands at that. Um, It's really hard not to be bitter towards people and not to hold resentment or unforgiveness towards others when someone does us wrong. Uh, Jesus knows what that's like. He was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, who's one of the 12 apostles. Um, He spent nearly every day with him for three whole years, and yet it was one of his closest friends who ended up turning him in to be crucified. Now, if that happened to me, it would only be by God's grace that I wouldn't lash out over that. And yet Jesus remained sinless, even in the midst of great betrayal. He didn't slander him. He didn't fight against him. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. Or what about um, family members? Um, If you've been betrayed by family members, we read in John chapter 7 that Jesus' own brothers wanted him put to death. It says he didn't want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. So what did his brothers say? Why don't you go up to Judea so that those people who you're showing off to can see your miracles? 
So even his own brothers wanted Jesus put to death. Uh, and yet he didn't despise them. He said, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Jesus also knew what it was like to be slandered and mocked. In John 8, when Jesus was preaching, the Jews cried out, we were not born of sexual immorality. Now, I can't give you the equivalent of that in the 21st century, but what these Jews were essentially saying is that your mother is a loose woman. They did not believe the account that she was a virgin when she gave birth to him, and they were accusing his mother of being a loose woman. We were not born of sexual immorality. Now, how would you feel if someone said that about your mother? Of course Jesus wanted to defend his mother. Of course it would have been just natural to lash out and to attack those who were attacking him and his family. And yet, Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. He trusted the Father. He never once wavered. It's a miracle. And then, uh, what about when he was being attacked uh, at, the, at the crucifixion and the, you know, the beating, the whipping. You know, Jesus understood what it was like to experience trauma, being whipped and beaten by Roman soldiers before the crucifixion. He experienced great physical and emotional pain. In Luke 22, it says that the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and said to him, prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And with other, many other things, they blasphemy spoke against him. And in the Matthew account, it says that they spat in his face. This is the king of the whole universe. This is the one who created every single star in the heavens. And yet he allowed himself to be spat in the face and beaten in the face by these Roman soldiers. It's amazing that by God's grace, again, he, he lived a sinless life. And he also experienced loneliness and the temptations that come along with it. You see, the apostle Peter talks about how his wife's mother was laying sick with a fever and Jesus healed her. So, you know, the Apostle Peter had a wife. Um, he had a traveling companion. And yet Jesus was single for his whole ministry um, on, his whole, on, the, on the planet. And, you know, he never once looked over at Peter enjoying the companionship of his wife and said, oh, why does he get to have a wife and I don't get to have a wife? Like, even in that, he knew that the Father was with him and he was not alone. He said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in his singleness and loneliness, he was able to say, I am not alone because the Father is with me. Now, time forbids me from covering every temptation to sin that Jesus experienced, but it's sufficient to say, as it does in Hebrews 4, that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, and yet without sin. More than that, the passage also says that he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, in the original language, which was um, ancient Greek, that word for sympathize literally means to suffer along with. So Jesus is able to suffer along with us in our temptations and trials. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, um, one of the interesting side stories about my, um, my chest issues that I had and the pains that I was feeling and just the discomfort... It brought a lot of anxiety. Like, I honestly thought I was dying. Like, I had this horrible time where I spoke with my wife and I just said to her, listen, if anything happens, I want you to know I love you and all this sort of thing. It was really not a good experience. But um, through that whole experience of getting chest pains, uh, one thing it did for me was it made me really sympathize with the older members of this congregation, those who are struggling with sickness and 
in their bodies. You know, every time we mention now that so-and-so's gone to hospital with heart issues, I'm like, oh man, I know what that feels like. And I'm, I'm automatically sympathetic towards it and I want to pray for them. I want to, I want to, you know, really be there for them because I know how hard it can be and I know the anxiety that comes with it. I know what it's like to not want to come to church because you're not sure if you're going to have such severe pain in your body that you might need to, to leave again. You know, I wanted to stay home. I wanted to lay down all the time. And um, yeah, so in a similar way, Jesus can sympathize with us in the temptations and trials we face because he faced them in every respect as we did and yet without sin. So the text then encourages us in the last verse. It says, let us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find great grace to help in time of need. This is God's invitation for every single one of us this morning. One of the reasons we often fail when we're tempted is because we refuse to go to Jesus for help. We refuse to approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. R.A. Torrey once wrote that we are to anticipate our battles, fight them on your knees before temptation comes, and you will always have victory. So we're to come directly to the throne of grace. This invitation says that we're not to come through a saint. We're not to come through the Virgin Mary. We're not to come through a crystal. You know, I've, I've got some friends that are into the New Age and they have all these different crystals that do all sorts of things and they wait for the full moon to have some sort of festival. None of those things are anywhere near in comparison to being able to approach God himself through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. What an invitation. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Now, uh, the same with angels. We don't need to consult angels. We can go directly to the creator of the universe. Now, I heard a story this week of someone uh, traveling to Jerusalem, and they saw a young lady write um, on a piece of paper, and she slipped it in the wailing wall at Jerusalem. And he asked her afterwards, you know, what are you doing? And she said, well, I've just... I've got this big need in my life and I, I wrote a prayer out to God and I've, I've put it in the wall in the hope that, you know, God will hear me. And uh, it's just a, such a tragedy that people think they need to go back to bringing back the temple or going back to some sort of um, experience in order to find God. When God can be found in your very home or on a walk, God can be found in your drive home today. You can approach, you can boldly approach the throne of God through Jesus Christ. You don't need to go to Jerusalem to the wailing wall to experience the presence of God or to be heard by him. Someone once said that the wailing wall should be called the wailing wall because it's the place where God goes to wail over those who will refuse to come to him through Jesus Christ. So we have one mediator. His name is Jesus and he has gone beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies. If you remember when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says that the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing that the presence of God was now accessible to every person who would come through the broken flesh of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 10, speaking of the Old Testament sacrifices, says, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. 
He never needs to administer the sacrifice anymore. There was one sacrifice. This high priest is greater than every other high priest. He stands in the Holy of Holies and he sits down. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavens. Jesus, our great high priest who appears before God on our behalf. Now, Jesus is that lamb without blemish or spot. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Isn't that good news? So we're to come boldly to the throne for two things, mercy and grace. And I just want to touch on mercy. It's more than just forgiveness. You know, there's people in this place probably that, you know, they've been forgiven, but they still struggle with guilt and condemnation over things they've done in their past. But the mercy that the Bible, um, that God promises us in the Bible is a mercy which also brings a perfect cleansing on the inside, a clean conscience, a clean mind, a slate completely washed clean. In 1 John verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, we read that um, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So you're invited this morning not only to receive mercy from God, but to receive cleansing as well. God can purify your conscience and wipe away every stain of the past. And that's something you can actually experience. You can actually live with a guilt-free conscience, knowing that God has perfectly forgiven you of all of your sins. Romans 8 verse 31 says, What shall we say for these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, it's not just mercy this morning that we can get from God. It's also grace to help in time of need. Now, most of the time I hear people say that grace is God's unmerited kindness. And it's true. It is His unmerited kindness. Some of you may have heard the acronym, though, grace, um, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good way of looking at it. Basically, it's God's provision for us to overcome in the midst of trials and temptations It's God's provision for us when we feel lonely, when we feel depressed, when we feel weak, um, when we're tempted to rebel against God or to hurt other people. God gives us grace to overcome in our battles. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So God's grace is there so that we can do good works. We can love our neighbor. We can love our enemies. Just as Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We can look at our enemies and speak just like Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. By God's grace, we can do that. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, 
who are zealous for good works. So God wants to purify you this morning. He wants to purify you from the sins of your past. He wants to purify your conscience now. He wants to give you grace to overcome in future battles. He wants to give you grace so that you can properly love him and love your neighbor. So that's it, guys. Um, I'm going to hand back over to Darren. But I just encourage you this morning, you can come to God through Jesus Christ and he will receive you because God receives the sacrifice of Jesus. His blood is sufficient to cover every one of your sins. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, I was just thinking, I heard the story of a group of, of mums who were meeting together in the United States and uh, they were having, they were sitting around the table and they were having a, you know, a cup of coffee together and the kids were strangely silent and they were outside playing and they were strangely silent and how many of you know when kids are silent something's not right and they looked at one another and said why are the kids so quiet so they went outside and to their horror they found that their kids little young kids had found a little brood of baby skunks and they were playing with them now if you know anything about skunks they are i mean wow if you've ever smelt one, you would understand it. They are, it's not just a bad smell. It lingers for months. A friend of mine had a, uh, uh, worked with, with the fire department. The, the fire truck ran over a skunk. They had to park it outside for two months. But that's how bad a skunk is. And here's these kids playing with these baby skunks. And so the, one of the mothers came in and said, Quick, children, run! So they all picked up a skunk and ran. <laughs> And skunks don't like to be squeezed very much. So you can imagine the mess of that. But that's so much, that's, that's what we're like with our problems, with our difficulties, with what we face. We bring them to the Lord. We come to the throne of God's grace. As, as Josh said, we lay out our needs and our desires and our hurts and our pains. We lay it all there and then we pick it up again and take it home. Don't we? And I believe that, that the Lord's speaking to us this morning, especially to me, that you've got to stop doing and just leave it with the Lord. God spoke to me this morning, stand firm and see the salvation. I will give you that exact verse out of uh, Exodus 14. And I've had a really busy week grappling with all sorts of things um, as the pastor of the church and with Lilyhouse, all that sort of stuff. And I'd taken it upon myself and I stand here and confess to you today that I need to learn to give it to the Lord and leave it with him. How many of you are like that? I'm going to pray many of us face incredible situations. I, you know, it might be a sickness in your body. Uh, it, it might be um, a, a financial difficulty. You might not have a place to, to live. You might need a car. You might need um, a home. You might need a relationship restored. And I tell you, we, we take these things to the Lord and we lay it at his feet. Then we pick it up and take it home, don't we? And I believe that it's time right now that we approach the throne of God's grace for mercy and his provision in our hour of need. So I'm going to ask you, just bow your heads with me for a few moments before we go to groups. I want you to search your heart. The Bible says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Lord, I pray that you would just take a few moments now that, that as, we, as we bow our heads, as we search our hearts, Lord God, that we, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will put your finger on anything we need to deal with right now. A need, physical need, financial, uh, whether it's a relationship, something big 
If you are having something big in your life happening at the moment and something that you really need the Lord to provide and to break through, then I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. There'll be many of us. Don't worry, you won't be the only one. But I believe God's speaking to us now. He's got these incredible needs that we have. And I'm going to ask you, if you've got a big need right now, a really big one, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. Because collectively, we are going to give this to the Lord and we are going to leave it with Him. I don't know what it is for you. You don't have to tell me, but God knows. And so just examine your heart right now. What big need do you face? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's, a, it's, it's getting in contact with someone where it's estranged. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's just, just a, a lack of money at the moment that you can't find a way through. I'm telling you, God can make a way. He is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. We've seen that in the church. Let's see it in our own life. So whatever it is, I'm just going to ask you to, to imagine that it's in your hands. Those of you who are standing, just hold your hands like a little cup and just imagine it is there in your hands and we're going to pray and we're going to give this to the Lord and we are not going to pick this sucker up anymore when we give it to the Lord it's for him so say this with me dear Lord with this that I am facing I place it in your hands I give it to you and I say have your way Lord I trust you that even if I cannot see the outcome, I can see you and I can trust you for the outcome. Lord, I give you this problem. Just turn your hands upside down so you're dropping the problem in front. Just do this with your hands. Turn it upside down. Imagine that problem, that difficulty, that need falling from your hands and you're not to pick it up again. Lord, I pray that as every person who's prayed this this morning, whether they're standing or not, Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts and that as they give you a problem, that they would learn to rest in you and to not struggle with it, to not lose sleep over it, to not, to not agonize over it, to not have it fill their mind and their heart constantly. But Lord God, I pray that there will be a peace that passes all understanding that will just descend upon their life right now, that they might live lives that are full of victory victory not full of worry that we might be victors and not victims lord i pray that you would just give us your peace and your holy spirit now put your hands back in a little cup those of you standing like that and into these little cups lord i pray that you will pour your holy spirit to overflowing lord fill every life here that is yielded to you totally totally with your holy spirit lord i pray that you would just flow right through their body through their mind through their soul lord from the top of their head to the tip of their toes lord god that you your holy spirit would just touch and transform and bring peace that is beyond all understanding right now i pray this in jesus name and father we just give you the praise and the glory this morning we know that you have died you, you set your son rather to die and that he has died in our place so that we the way through to you has been open and lord we thank you that we can we can have your heaven in our heart by the holy spirit lord that by your holy spirit we can have a direct link with you lord god we just yield our control to him father may we not be the captain May we not even be the co-pilot, but Lord, we want to be the passengers and let you direct our steps. Lord, we commit our lives to you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.